As you all know, Sharp Football Analysis is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. You can choose from season-long, four-week, or weekly packages that best suit your needs. Use code ANGLES30 for 30% off any products site-wide at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal here with Mark DeRosa. We're here to talk through week three of the NFL season with you, going over some of our favorite bets for the upcoming week, a little bit of review of last week's action as well. Mark, how you doing? Doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I had a pretty good week. I think both of us did, at least based on some of the stuff we gave out on last week's pod. So why don't we start there going over some of the stuff from week two? And why don't we start with Houston Cleveland? Because we each gave out a bet on that game last week on the pod and we each won. You gave out Houston against the spread. I gave out Jarvis Landry under, uh, which you know, obviously an injury helped out with that, but that was one that I, that was one of my stronger feelings going in. So I was feeling good based on how the game was going to play out anyway. So it was nice to start out with two wins there. Um, looking back on that game and how it played out, I know you've been sort of fading the Browns all season, what, what did you think about that game and how might that affect how you handle them moving forward? Yeah. So um, that's an interesting game. I, uh, I love double digit underdogs early in the season. Um, I feel like there's can be a lot of times there can be a real overreaction to things that we see early on in the year. And maybe we don't have all the information we need to really, you know, qualify a team as being a double digit favorite. So, um, you know, I was really happy with the way that game kind of played out. Um, you know, Houston was, uh, leading that game for much of the first half, I think most of the second quarter. Um, I know because I had a parlay on uh, Houston plus the points and under 24 or 24 and a half, can't remember in the first half. And uh, that parlay was looking really, really good until uh, the Browns tied it up just before the half at 14. So, um, so yeah, I mean, um, kind of played out the way that I hoped it would where Cleveland stayed in the game for, I'm sorry, Houston stayed in the game for most of the first half. Uh, I think Cleveland was pretty lucky that Tyrod Taylor ended up, you know, pulling a hammy and not being able to get back into the game. Yeah, I feel so terrible for that guy because he's just been through the ringer his entire career. I mean, he was a late round draft pick and was a backup for a couple of years, finally got the chance to start uh, up in Buffalo and then bounced around to a few other teams and, you know, had his lung punctured last year. And uh, now, now he finally gets a chance to start with uh, Houston and he's looked great. And, uh, you know, obviously it's kind of a big blow for them to lose him. Um, at the same time, uh, Cleveland lost Jarvis Landry. Um, they're talking multiple week injury, um, but it was certainly nice to cash the under on the Landry props that we both uh, liked last week. Um, I think he went down in the first quarter. So, um, you know, it was kind of that middle position of having the, uh, unders on the uh, Browns receivers and the uh, the spread on Houston so that game worked out pretty well yeah that game definitely played out nicely for both of us I think Houston has been an interesting team so far obviously exceeding expectations in both of their games and I remember in the offseason uh, for those of you that may have picked up the sharp football NFL preview book you saw our coach rankings in there and we had David Coley ranked 32nd and I believe it was unanimous I'm not I'm not certain, but he was definitely ranked 32nd. And when we talked about it on a podcast in the offseason, you know, obviously a big part of him being ranked that low is just he's a first-year head coach. So all the first-year head coaches were ranked near the bottom for us. And then he also just, you know, having not really been a legitimate candidate ever before, 
sort of by default ended up at the bottom. But one of the things I did mention as like, you know, if he exceeds expectations and if Houston does this, you like, what would the reason be? The only thing I, I mentioned back in the offseason was he seems to have a really strong reputation with players, players that he's coached before seem to really like him. So I'm actually not too surprised that they've come out of the gate looking decent because this team has had to hear all offseason about how they're going to be the worst team in the league. Absolutely no expectations. That's naturally going to fire you up a little bit. And then having a coach of a really bad team that the players really like to play for is a huge asset. You know, I think we saw that in Miami a few years ago and that tank for two a year, they exceeded expectations, especially for them. It was a little bit more late in the season, but it seemed like the players just loved playing for Brian Flores. And obviously he's proven to be a great coach on top of that. So that was part of it, but just getting your players on a bad team to just put in the, the effort, which sometimes doesn't happen. And I think, you know, to provide an example on the other side with Cleveland during the Hugh Jackson years, when they were really bad, based on how some of the players have responded and kind of openly mocked Hugh Jackson after he got fired, I think we can pretty easily assume maybe not everybody on that roster is putting in a full effort during those down years under him. And so that could definitely be part of it with Cully. So, you know, betting against Houston, even though I think they're still, you know, the least talented team in the league, I'm going to be a little hesitant betting against them moving forward based on how they've shown, because that, that kind of does match up with what I thought might happen just with them playing hard for Cully. So let's talk about yeah, another game. Yeah, go ahead. I, I hate to interrupt you there, but I think you make some great points there. And, you know, this is a mostly veteran team, guys who have been professionals uh, for five, 10 years now, guys that nobody else really wanted. Um, you know, they signed so many free agents in the offseason, and I've touched on that a couple different times. And the point that you make about the Browns, you know, that was a really young team that had very little leadership and, um, you know, a bunch of high round draft picks that ended up, you know, a lot of them were failures, but um, so, yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with your points on that. I think that's a really intelligent point to make. Yeah. So that's definitely something to keep in mind moving forward, even though you're, we might be tempted to bet against Houston, they might be a team that keep games a little closer than we think more often than not. So talking about another uh, game last week, Saints Panthers and the Saints have been a team that have come up quite a bit for us this season, especially because, you were really high on Jameis Winston entering the year. Obviously things didn't go so well last week against the Panthers. So what's, what's your stance on them now? What are your, some of your takeaways from that game? Oh man, I'm hoping that that was just a mulligan. Um, You know, Jameis was just awful. You know, I can't tell if it was the Panthers defense or if it was just, you know, old Jameis showed up to to play the game or, you know, maybe he forgot to put his contacts in or, or whatever. Um, but, you know, 11 for 22, 111 yards, four sacks, two interceptions. Um, they were never in the game. Um, you know, I think the Panthers defense is for real. I'm not really convinced about the offense just yet. But, um, yeah, I mean, as far as the Saints go, you know, yeah, they played terribly. But they also have every excuse in the book to hang a game like that, you know, considering they've been basically on the road for the last three to four weeks because of the hurricane. Um, you know, a home game in Jacksonville last week and traveling to care, traveling back to Texas and then up to Carolina, um, you know, having half their coaching staff out with COVID, um, you know, who knows how much that's worth. You know, I, I found that really interesting that despite all these problems that the saints were having last week, you know, the line opened saints minus two and a half moved to minus three and a half and it stuck there. So 
you know, it's, it's hard to say, you know, it's, um, it's hard to say with the saints team. They, you know, they were also down a couple of uh, guys, a couple of starters. I know they were without their center. They were without uh, Lattimore and another guy from their secondary. So, you know, I want to chalk it up to bad luck. Um, but I guess we'll see. Uh, obviously wasn't very good for my Jameis uh, futures, comeback player of the year and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we got uh, 15 more games to go, so hopefully they can get it turned around. Um, big game this week in New England. Yeah, definitely a small step back for them. But it, it could be based on how we've seen the Panthers play, and we'll get into this a little bit more later on in the pod. But based on how the Panthers' defense has looked, it could be that in a couple of weeks we look back on that game a little bit differently if the Panthers, like, establish themselves as legitimately one of the best defenses as they have looked so far. So that's sort of like a wait and see uh, as far as like how we should pass judgment on that game, I think. So let's move on and talk about another game that was a little bit one-sided. Bills, Dolphins, obviously that got out of hand pretty early. What do you, what do you have as far as takeaways from that one? A little bit one-sided. That was um, a complete annihilation. And, uh, you know, I was watching that game as it was being played, and they were just totally outclassed in every way. Miami was, you know, they were down 14 nothing at halftime. It easily could have been 35 nothing, um, which was the final score. Um, you know, it was just a complete and utter disaster in like every phase of the game for Miami. I mean, they looked unprepared, they looked unprofessional, they had a couple of really immature penalties. Um, you know, it just Buffalo kind of walked into town and, and showed them what a real football team looks like, I think. So, uh, you know, now Miami's without their quarterback, which, you know, Tua didn't really look that impressive anyways. Um, that was another one of my futures that I bet I bet quite a bit on Tua to have a good year. And those all look like garbage at this point. But uh, so, yeah, you know, uh, Brissett came into the game, proceeded to get uh, throw a pick or two and get sacked a time or two and just, you know, looked like he hadn't taken any first team reps at all. And he probably hasn't. And, um, you know, now they got to go on the road and uh, play a pretty impressive looking Raiders team. So uh, which is actually the next point I wanted to uh, kind of get into was, uh, you know, the Raiders look like they might be for real. Um, what do you think about that? I'm still sort of have a wait and see approach, but I thought entering the year, you know, I, I bet a few props on them based on thinking the offense was really good. I bet the Derek Carr over and the Henry Ruggs over and both of those on their passing and receiving yards. And I'm feeling pretty good about both of those through two weeks as Carr leads the league. And uh, I think Ruggs is already about 20% of the way to hit, hitting the over on his receiving yards. Um, so yeah. I, I believe in the offense as I did in the off season. What, what do you think? Well, the funny thing about the Raiders is their run offense is like the worst in the league through two games, but if there's anything that you can be terrible at and still win, it's running the ball. So, um, so yeah, I mean, the offense is still doing really well. Um, Carr looks like a possible MVP candidate. Um, if they can continue winning, um, I'm really happy to see the defense, which is what I kind of focused on uh, in the off season was I was really hoping that the defense could generate, you know, more pressure, more sacks, more fumbles, more interceptions, and have better fumble luck and that's really come to fruition so far this year um you know Crosby looks like a star and Gakwe's been pretty good they've gotten a lot of pressure they've gotten the sacks they've gotten the turnovers so um <clears throat> you know a lot of times a turnover can flip the script of the game and um I think it's 
going pretty well. Uh, I'm, I, I was actually talking with, uh, with Warren about a prop bet this week that a couple of books had up, which was the last team to lose. And uh, he was asking my opinion and they had the Raiders at 10 to one. And I just, just looking at the schedule, you know, he posted the schedule and I, I looked at the Raiders and I, I said, man, 10 to one seems like it's pretty good value. And so I kind of ran like a little rudimentary simulation, you know, based on, you know, win probabilities for each team versus their you know, upcoming schedule. And when I priced it all out, I priced, priced the Raiders out at about plus 700, maybe eight to one, roughly right there. So might even be a little bit of value on the Raiders to be the last team uh, to be undefeated. But they don't have any like games where they're going to be like humongous underdogs. So that really plays into their, into their favor. So, so yeah, I'm really, I'm really hoping for the Raiders. I got a big bet on them to get the number one seed in the AFC at 120 to one odds. So um, if that pays off this year, I will be very happy. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned turnover luck, but you also just need a little bit of general luck to, you know, hit on some of those types of things, being the last undefeated team, getting the number one seed. Luck plays into stuff like that. And they're already getting a little bit of it this week with Tua being out. I don't think the Dolphins offense is going to be nearly as potent with Brissett there. So like, you know, right off the bat, there's a little bit of luck. It's completely out of their control, but you know, to get some of those high end things to go your way, you need a little bit of luck and it's already happening for them. So that's Brissett takes a ton of sacks too. So I, I, you know, it really plays into their favor again. So. Absolutely. So let's spin things forward now, talk about this week. And let's just start out by talking about line movement. What what do you got for us? Yeah. So there really hasn't been much line movement at all. I mean, at all, nothing that's super meaningful in my opinion. I mean, a few that are kind of smallish line moves, but um, man, it seems like the bookies really pegged it right out of the gate. And um, either that or uh, the public hasn't really, you know, picked, picked up on a, any place to move the line a substantial amount. Um, tonight's game uh, opened uh, Panthers minus seven. Uh, it's moved to Panthers minus eight. Um, at plus eight, I'm a buyer on the Texans. Um, even with a rookie quarterback, even going against the terror or supposedly very good defense. Um, you know, that's just uh, a lot of points for, for two teams that heading into the season were not supposed to be very good. Um, I think the Panthers have been a little bit lucky thus far. Um, and yeah, so that's one of the big, uh, bigger moves. Uh, the other, I guess you could call it a big move was uh, the Rams opened as two point favorites at home against Tampa. And that line has moved to uh, Tampa minus one and a half. So, you know, technically that's a three and a half point move across the zero, but in reality, it's not really much of a move. It's, you know, a four or 5% change in win probability. Um, both teams are extremely public this year. Everybody wants to bet on them. Now they play each other. Um, I'm a bit surprised the line move hasn't come back to the Rams a little bit because of Antonio Brown's COVID situation. You know, he might play, he might not play. We don't really know, but, um, I think we'll get more into that game, uh, later in the show when we talk about the game of the week. Yeah, definitely. And those types of games, I feel like are always a little bit hard to read into because, you have two teams that everybody loves to bet on every week. There's just so much more action on those types of games. And you're, we will get into that a little bit more in depth. But let's start out with Washington at Buffalo this week. Buffalo's favored by eight points in this game. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about this game? Do you have any leans that you like? Yeah, I, I lean Washington here. Um, 
you know, Buffalo coming off a 35-point blowout win. Um, Washington, you know, I, I really like their quarterback situation with Heineke. Um, you know, he's looked really impressive every game that he's played in, um, going back to the playoff game last year, to the Chargers game, and then last week I thought he looked really good. Um, you know, he's – I think you can pretty much at this point discount anything that guy did when he was with the Panthers. Um, you know, he had a, a few mop-up. I think he might have started a game. Um, I, I would pretty much just discredit anything that goes back that far. Um, so, yeah, I think that, um, you know, Buffalo coming off that big win, they could be in for a letdown spot. Um, you know, Washington's coming off that mini buy. The last time they played was on Thursday night. Um, so, you know, I just think seven and a half points is too many uh, given the situation. So, yeah, that mini buy definitely helps teams and potentially has a bigger impact on a team with a quarterback who's only been starting one game, gives him a little bit of extra prep time for this matchup. Definitely could be a, a needed advantage for them in that situation. Sure. I didn't. I don't really have a strong opinion on either side in this game, but I do have a prop that I like. And I, I like the, I, well, I should say, I think I like the Emmanuel Sanders over on his receptions. For some reason, I haven't seen this line posted yet, which is odd. Obviously for a starting wide receiver, you would expect that. So I would assume that this will get posted at some point before game day, but for some reason it's not up yet. Um, but the number has been 4.5 for him in each of the first two weeks. And he's gone under in both of those. So what I'm hoping is that that drops a little bit. And I think I'll like the over in that case. If it's at 3.5, I'm definitely going to take the over. It's at 4.5. Maybe it's just to stay away from me, but I would lean over in that situation also. The reason being is is purely matchup based. Washington has two pretty good starting corners, William Jackson and Kendall Fuller. They start on the outside when teams have two wide receivers on the field, but when they go to three wide receiver sets, Fuller kicks inside and rookie Benjamin St. Just has been coming in on the outside. And we know how much teams like to pick on rookie cornerbacks. And there's also the, the reason I like Sanders rather than Diggs, because obviously, you know, it's possible Diggs gets matched up with him with St. Just on the outside as well. And, you know, maybe that's a reason to consider some overs for Diggs as well. But William Jackson in uh, Cincinnati was one of the better shadow cornerbacks in the league. Now, Washington has typically not done that, and they haven't really used him as a shadow for the first two weeks. But I have noticed that Washington increased their use of man coverage these first two weeks from 23% last season to 44%. So even though they haven't used shadow coverage, you could kind of consider increasing your use of man as a prerequisite to installing it in certain matchups because it is a little bit more common. Obviously, you know, if you have a lockdown corner, you want to match up in man coverage against, you know, team's number one wideout. And Buffalo is a team with a pretty obvious, you know, scenario where you might want to do that. There's obviously a big difference between Diggs and Sanders, although we still, you know, Sanders is still a capable quarterback uh, receiver and very capable of taking advantage of a rookie cornerback, if that's the matchup that we see consistently. So, you know, hopefully that line gets posted at a spot where, you know, it's a favorable number for him. As I said, if it's at 3.5, I'm taking the over on Sanders receptions uh, based on the assumption that he's going to get a, a lot of opportunities against a rookie cornerback. And I think that's just a really good spot for him. So let's move on now to talk about the uh, Cardinals and Jaguars. Cardinals are favored by seven and a half in this game. Jaguars, you know, I, they look, they look pretty bad. I don't have a strong take on this. 
just because on the road, may, maybe it's a closer than expected game. It's certainly a scenario where teams could start looking ahead and, you know, just get caught in a bad spot and you end up in a game that's closer than it should be. So I don't like a side, but this is another game where I like a prop. I like Kyler Murray's longest completion on the over. This is another one that for some reason I haven't seen it posted yet, but typically longest completion props are in the mid thirties in this situation for Kyler Murray, a guy who throws it deep, it's probably going to climb up into the upper thirties. It may even hit 40 and I'm going to take the over, even if it's all the way up at 40 uh, based on the combination of Murray's willingness to throw and Jacksonville's defense. It seems like, even this early in the season, teams have already identified the Jaguars as a defense that you can pick on down the field. 30% of pass attempts against them have been at least 15 yards downfield. That's the highest in the league by a good margin. Next highest is 25%. So that's a, that's a pretty significant difference. It seems like teams are really being aggressive, uh, challenging them down the field. And, you know, it, it makes sense. They, that's definitely a weak link on the team. And it's also worth noting that that number is so high, despite the fact that they played Tyrod Taylor and Teddy Bridgewater, who aren't really guys who in their career have been known for airing it out down the field, especially Bridgewater. And I found this really interesting note from uh, Sports Info Solutions. Last week, Bridgewater had 370 intended air yards in the game. Now, their data goes back to 2015, so it doesn't quite capture all of Bridgewater's career, but it does capture the last seven seasons there was only one other game in which he had 300 intended air yards and it was all the way back in 2015. So this is a guy who is completely averse to taking shots downfield. And yet he was airing it out against the Jaguars defense in a game when he didn't even really need to. So yeah, yeah, they're, they're bad. (laughs) And the Broncos clearly identified that as just something that they could take advantage. And the Cardinals are built to take advantage of it much better than the Broncos were. You know, Murray has had a 40-yard pass and dating back to the start of last season in 11 of 18 games. So, you know, that's why I kind of say, like, if I'd bet this over up to the 40-yard mark because, you know, so far he's been slightly better than 50-50 on that. And going up against a bad defense, I think we can say the odds are probably slightly higher than that. Um, So, again, you know, unfortunately that number hasn't been posted, so I can't say for certain that I'm going to be on it, but I'm going to bet it as long as it's up to 40. I'm sure it will get posted. Obviously, those numbers are always available for starting quarterbacks eventually. So that's another one that I like. Let's move on now to uh, Browns and Bears. Obviously, we touched on the Browns a little bit at the top, Mark. Uh, What are your feelings about this one? Yeah, so I think I might finally be on your Browns this year. Um. After talking smack about them pretty much every other week and uh, even at the top of the show, um, I just feel like they're in a good spot. Um, There's a lot of public interest in this game, a lot of Bears fans out there. They've been clamoring for Justin Fields since, you know, the preseason and they're finally getting him. And I think they cannot wait to line up and put their money on the Bears this week. Um, I think you're getting a little bit of a discount due to that on the Browns. And uh, I think another factor that people are considering is, you know, Jarvis Landry's out, Um, you know, Jarvis Landry is a fine receiver, but he's not dominant by any stretch of the imagination. And unless guys are like truly, truly dominant, you know, I think the wide receiver is a pretty replaceable position. Um, So 
you know, it sounds like uh, Beckham Jr. might even make a return this week. I know he's a full participant in practice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, everybody's been waiting for their shot for, for Fields to get a shot, at, you know, starting. And um, But, you know, until we see otherwise, you know, in my book, he's still a rookie quarterback. You know, rookie quarterbacks generally have higher interception rates. They have higher sack rates, you know, lower completion percentages. Um, and he's going up against a pretty good uh, defensive front for Cleveland. So, you know, it's not an easy spot uh, for him to be making his first start. So, uh, yeah, that's my my opinion there. Yeah, I definitely think that makes sense. It's probably one that I'll stay away from just because a guy like Justin Fields, you know, who, who knows how the offense might change a little bit. They could certainly come out and look much better than expected. So I'll probably stay away. But if I were to pick a side, you know, in an office pool or something, I think Browns would definitely be where I would be at just for all the same reasons you mentioned. That's a difficult spot uh, for fields to come in, especially since, as you mentioned, you know, you would expect rookies to have increased rates of sacks and interceptions against a decent defense. And that was something that Fields struggled with a little bit last year when teams got pressure on him, he was making mistakes, the Indiana game and the Northwestern game too, in particular teams that frustrated him. And that was sort of one of the reasons why I would, Although I'm very high on Fields long term, I was I've been kind of down on his rookie year expectations just because I feel like if Indiana and Northwestern can confuse you a little bit, <laughs> what's the NFL defense going to do? So with this being his first start, I could certainly see him making some pretty costly mistakes, even if he does have some nice splash plays as well. You know, he's certainly talented. I would expect him to have some big plays, but possibly negating that with some mistakes of his own. So let's move now to some of the bigger games of the week. We've touched on some of the bets that we really like. Now we're going to move on and just talk about some of the bigger games where we might have a lean or two, but, you know, we really just want to talk about them because obviously there's a lot of action on the more high profile games of the week. So let's start talking about chargers at the chiefs. Chiefs are favored by six and a half. Do you have any kind of lean on this game or is this one that's a stay away situation for you? For the most part, it's a stay away situation. I mean, I I think that both of these teams are two of the most overrated in the league. Um, Chiefs are really struggling defensively. Uh, Chargers are kind of struggling offensively. You know, everybody thought that uh, Herbert was going to have this great uh, sophomore season, but he really, I mean, he hasn't been bad, but he hasn't, you know, hasn't lived up to the expectations, I think. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I really, I really don't have an opinion on the game. Uh, either way, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. This is a tough one. I think if there was a bet I would place on this game, I would lean towards taking the over at 55. Um, and that's basically because of the Chiefs defense. Obviously, we know the Chiefs offense is capable of putting up a big number in this game. And I think the Chiefs defense might allow the Chargers to do the same. A couple numbers that stood out to me, the Chiefs so far rank 30th in pressure rate. So I feel like a quarterback like Herbert, who is willing to be aggressive throwing downfield, has some capable receivers, capable of winning downfield. If you're not getting pressure on him, that's potentially problematic for you. So there could certainly be some big plays for the Chargers downfield, allowing them to put up some good offensive numbers. And also, you know, this is certainly related, but if you remove sort of the layup throws and just look at throws five or more yards downfield, the Chiefs are allowing 11.2 yards per attempt, which rates 26 in the league. Now, the Chiefs have played two decent offenses in the Browns and the Ravens. So I certainly expect their defense to, you know, some of those defensive numbers to come back down towards the middle of the pack as we move along. But, you know, like I said, the Chargers are a decent offense as well. 
And so I think they're the type of team that could take advantage of that. I certainly like the Chiefs to win the game outright, uh, but I could definitely see this turning into a little bit of a shootout. You know, the numbers at 55 right now, basic with the Chiefs favored by almost a touchdown, we're basically looking at an implied score of 31-24. Yeah, I could definitely, you know, the 31 is should be easily achievable for the Chiefs. I could see the Chargers, you know, going past 24 pretty easily, especially if they're able to hit on a few big plays with Herbert having time to throw from the pocket. So that would be my lean in that game, although it's not one that I'm super confident in. And now let's, you know, go on to the, probably the biggest game of the week that you touched on a little bit at the beginning. We've got Bucks favored by one and a half at the Rams. What do you got for this game? Well, you know, like we talked about earlier, the lines move from the Rams minus two to the Buccaneers minus one and a half. Um, just some quick thoughts on the game. Uh, I'm kind of leaning towards a, like a Rams teaser. Um, going from Rams plus one and a half to plus seven and a half. Um, you know, the Buccaneers are not confident in their cornerback and secondary situation. They have lost uh, Sean Murphy bunting for uh, an extended period of time. You know, it was in the news this week that they're reaching out to guys like Richard Sherman. So, you know, they're concerned about their depth and the Rams have not really, they're not really the kind of team that you should be, um, you know, going in with poor, a poor secondary. So, um, you know, I look for the Rams to attack that secondary with their new quarterback, you know, Stafford's look great. Um, I think both teams have looked really impressive this year. Um, I'm curious to see how Tom Brady fares versus Aaron Donald. The, uh, you know, the New York giants discovered, you know, back in 2007 and 2011 that the uh, Patriots and Tom Brady really struggle with pressure up the middle and there's nobody better in the NFL at pressure up the middle than Aaron Donald. So, um, you know, I'm kind of curious to see what the game plan is going to be. Uh, I'm sure Brady's going to be probably dumping it off um, to James White and whoever is his uh, guy in the slot this week. I know Godwin's going to be uh, getting some short receptions. Uh, but uh, if Antonio Brown's out, then it could be uh, Scotty Miller, it could be uh, Tyler Johnson. So, you know, we'll see. Um, I definitely lean towards the home underdog in this situation. I'm probably going to be teasing the Rams with, uh, uh, you know, Rams plus seven and a half or eight with Minnesota plus seven and a half or eight or Baltimore uh, minus one and a half or minus two. So. Yeah, I agree. This is kind of a tough game to read. Um, I, for me, this is really the type of game I'm excited to watch it because I, it'll, I think it'll tell us a lot more about these teams. Obviously the Rams especially had some changes this off season. And one of the changes I've noticed so far on defense is they seem to be a little bit more aggressive uh, bringing the blitz. It seems to be something that Raheem Morris has really brought to this team as he's been replacing uh, Brandon Staley, a defensive coordinator. Last, last year, the Rams brought five or more pass rushers 30% of the time, only four times. They've gone over that number in both games so far this year. So you know, we'll have, we'll need more information to see if that's a legitimate trend or if that was just a matchup thing, because obviously, you know, they did it a couple of times last year. Maybe it was just how the matchups played out for them, but I'm, if that's a legitimate trend, I'm curious what that means for them, especially in this game, because although Brady is really good at avoiding mistakes against the blitz, it do- it has slowed him down a little bit since he's been in Tampa, especially relative to how he did in new England. And I think if we just sort of look at the personnel, it makes sense. You know, 
Brady's receivers here in Tampa, they're more downfield guys, guys who can stretch the field a little bit. Whereas, especially towards the end of his run in New England, he was really thriving on, you know, sort of a lot of shorter stuff, just getting the ball out quickly to his guys in the slots, letting them do work after the catch. So the fact that he would be a little bit worse against the blitz in Tampa than New England, it makes sense based on how his receivers are winning. And, you know, since he's been in Tampa, so going back to the start of last season, when he's faced four fewer pass rushers, he's averaging 7.9 yards per attempt versus five or more at 6.4 yards per attempt. That's a pretty big difference. You know, as, as I said, those numbers were much closer together during his final years in New England, especially the, the last year in New England when they were almost identical numbers, depending on if it was four or fewer or five or more pass rushers, it really didn't make a difference to him. And I just think it's the style of uh, style of passing attack that he has, the different receivers he has to work with has really dictated that shift. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what the Rams do. If they bring a lot of pressure in this game, it'll be interesting because I, I think it'll make for a fun game to watch too if they do that because Brady is – you know, it's certainly capable of taking advantage of it. If he sees one of his receivers in a good one-on-one situation, you know, he could, we could see some big plays down the field once he sees that. Uh, but, you know, his track record since he's been there have shown maybe that is a way to slow him down a little bit. Yeah, I um, I think, uh, you know, I think there's also a little bit of a coaching mismatch in this game. You know, of course, I was on the Buccaneers last year. I had all the Super Bowl conference futures, division, all that kind of stuff. And it was infuriating for me to watch them play as they struggled through the you know early and middle part of the season. You know, Arians was uncompromising in there. You know, he just wanted to go deep, just want to go deep, go deep, go deep. And, you know, Brady threw a lot more interceptions than I expected. Um, they did not have a underneath threat. Uh, to catch the ball. And I kept on telling, saying to myself, they need to put Fournette in as their lead back. Cause he can actually catch the ball. You know, Ronald Jones cannot catch. He's terrible. And um, you know, if, so what I, I guess what I'm saying is Arians is not really known to mold his offensive attack to the opponents that he's playing. He's just going to hope that he can show up and his, his talent is going to overwhelm you, overwhelm you. And, you know, that's how they're going to beat you. You know, I don't know if they can do that here. They, they really need to be, like you said, getting, you know, maybe getting rid of the ball quickly, especially if the Rams are blitzing, uh, like we suspect they might, especially if they can get pressure up the middle uh, with Aaron Donald. So, yeah, I'm uh, – the more we talk, the more I'm leaning even more towards the Rams. So, we'll see. <laughs> it'll certainly be a fun game, you know, regardless of how it plays out. I think it'll be a, an entertaining matchup. Uh, so let's now move on to Thursday night football. Obviously, it's not a great matchup, but, you know, since we're bringing this pod to you on a Thursday, we want to touch on it every week. We got, you know, as Mark, as you mentioned off the top, we got Panthers minus eight at the Texans. Anything more you want to add about this game? Uh, you know, I got a slight lean towards the Texans, um, even starting with a rookie quarterback. You know, like, like we talked about, this is a, a veteran team with a veteran coach. They're all proud guys. Um, you know, I think the Panthers might be a little bit overvalued um, just based off of their recent results. Um, but still, you know, if you use your priors and you go back and you look, you know, the Panthers were uh, expected to be a seven and a half win team. So, yeah, eventually you move off your priors if you keep seeing results go in the other direction. But I'm not quite sure we're at that point yet. Um, so I'm betting uh, I'm going to be betting Sam Darnold under on touchdowns uh, under one and a half plus 120, 125. Um you know, I price this at around minus 120, so there's a pretty solid edge on the under. Um, by no means a sure thing, 
um, but it's got a lot of expected value. Um, you know, I think that a lot of things are in play here. You know, if the spread is actually accurate, you know, Carolina could be out to a big second half lead. Um, you know, you got a, a rookie quarterback going against a good defense. You could see a, a defensive or special teams touchdown for the Panthers where, you know, it kind of puts the need to pass the ball out of reach late in the game or something like that. Um, so, you know, uh, it's more of a mathematical play, but, you know, that's that's where I'm going with that. Yeah, it certainly makes sense, just based on the possibility of this being a really lopsided blowout. You know, we could see a diminished passing attack for Carolina in this game. For me, there's actually a couple bets I like on this game, and they're all, I mean, very closely related. The first being the sack total for the game, the combined sack total. It's at five and a half, and it's actually a plus 115. I, I like that. Uh, Carolina could go over that by themselves. Uh, this has been an elite pass rush through two weeks. Now, they've played the Jets and Saints. It's tough to say how much of that was opponents. You know, obviously they're not going to continue their 67% pressure rate that they've had through two games. Uh, you know, the Jets are obviously just not a very good offense right now. And they're playing a rookie quarterback that certainly factored into their ability to get pressure on him. But they did follow it up against Winston last week, sacking him four times and bring getting pressure at a high rate. Uh, and they actually had great protection in week one against the Packers. So I don't think we can say it was purely about the opponents that they face. This is a pretty good Panthers pass rush. And, you know, they were decent last year and they've been exceptional through two weeks this year. Um, and one of the things that I think is really encouraging about their pass rush is that they haven't needed to blitz to get pressure. They've actually brought four or fewer pass rushers 72% of the time. And when doing so, they're still getting pressure at a 64% rate. So it doesn't really matter if they blitz or not, they're still getting home. And that's, you know, that's really troubling for Houston, who's struggled. They, uh, they've allowed the fourth highest pressure rate so far through two games. That's despite playing Jacksonville in week one. Not exactly a dangerous pass rush there, although they've been, they've been decent to start the year. Um, and then, you know, you've got a rookie quarterback on the other side. If you're getting pressure on a rookie quarterback, the odds of you bringing him down are increased. As we saw in week one, Zach Wilson took six sacks. So, you know, that right there shows that the Panthers could hit the over on this number by themselves. And also going back and looking at some numbers from Davis Mills at Stanford last year, when he was pressured, 20% of those dropbacks under pressure turned into sacks. And although he was a decent college quarterback, that was actually higher than the Pac-12 average last year, which is 15%. So, you know, that's some evidence to think that he's maybe a little bit prone to taking sacks and holding the ball too long already, on top of the fact that almost all rookies are prone to that in the NFL. So that's a number that I really like, Panthers, or uh, the combined sack total over 5.5. And then two others that I like, very closely related, the Texans team total. I was able to get on this at under 17 early in the week. It looks like it's dropped below that to 16 and a half or 16 most places. I'm a little bit less interested. Obviously, 17 is, you know, a fairly significant number. 16 you know, slightly less interesting. If you want to avoid the six, avoid that 16, I think a potential bet that you could place is for there to be no Houston touchdown in the game. And that's at plus 800. And, you know, obviously that goes back to what, I was just talking about with the Panthers pass rush. If they're getting to Mills at a really high rate, they're going to really struggle to get the ball downfield. I think he has the potential to be really overwhelmed. And I'm not sure that this coaching staff has the tools to help him adjust. 
you know, we did talk, you know, somewhat positively about Coley off the top, but that was really just about players liking him and willing to play hard for him. And I don't have any doubt that they will play hard for him in this game, but you know, there was one example last week's game that I think we have to mention just showing just how uh, possibly in over their head, this coaching staff might be, you know, the Texans, the Texans were in a third and 15 situation against the Browns at one point last week, and they picked up 13 yards on the play. However, the Browns jumped off sides. And, you know, I'm sure some of you may have seen this on Twitter because Kevin Stefanski's reaction uh, was making the rounds going viral a little bit on Sunday afternoon. So after that sequence of events, the Texans have a choice. They can accept the penalty and it'll be third and 10 or they can decline the penalty and it'll be fourth and two. That seems like a pretty easy decision. You would think Uh, you're going to take third and 10 and get, take another shot at getting the first down, but no, David Culley decided let's just punt. He declined the penalty. It was fourth and two. They punted the ball away. And that's just, it's only one play. Coaches make mistakes all the time, but man, that is, you I, can, can you think of any time you've seen like just a more boneheaded coaching mistake in the middle of the game than that? No, I really can't. Um, that's pretty inexcusable. I mean, maybe he just had a brain fart. I don't know. But when you're paid to be an NFL head coach, you're expected to make, you know, basic decisions like that correctly. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a really, it's a really bad look. And just like, we had such questions about this coaching staff and this whole, the whole organization, the way they built this team, this offseason. there were just so many red flags. And, you know, if you had to pick it, if you played out that scenario, if you, if you read me that scenario, you know, a month ago and said, Hey, one of the NFL, one of the 32 teams is going to do this in 2021, which coaching staff is going to do it? Obviously the Texans, <laughs> Even without having seen the coaches take the field yet, that would have been the consensus. And sure enough, in week two, they pull off just what will undoubtedly be the biggest mistake of the season. So, you know, I just question their ability to get their rookie quarterback ready on a short week against what, at least so far, looks like one of the best defenses in the league. It's potentially just a really, really ugly situation that Davis Mills is being thrown into. So I, I like that. No Houston touchdown at plus 800. Obviously it's a little bit of a long shot, but uh, you know, you really couldn't ask for a worse situation for a rookie quarterback to throw it into. So I, I, I think that's a good bet to place. What do you, what, you have anything else to add there? Yeah. I just want to throw in, um, I hope you guys can hear me because I'm in the middle of a thunderstorm right now, but uh, uh, so I keep muting myself when, when you're talking, so it doesn't go through, but uh yeah, I, I think that um, I priced that Houston no touchdown at like plus five fifty. So if you're getting eight to one, then that's a great bet. Yeah, it, it definitely. That, that's not a bet that you know I'm, I'd probably go the whole season and maybe not place a no touchdown bet. But this just rookie quarterback, short week, struggling coaching. I mean, just great defense. Everything kind of adds up to thinking this could be uh, a really really bad situation. Maybe even a, just a shutout. Like it, it could it could certainly get that ugly, even though we have seen Houston uh, exceed expectations a little bit through the first two weeks. Like we talked about the top, you know, give them credit for that, but you know, this is just a rough spot for them. So I think that brings us to the end of this week's show. Uh, it should be a fun week. You know, I think we've got a few uh, really interesting games. Like we talked about uh, 
Bucks Rams should certainly be a fun one. Obviously, you know, we mentioned we didn't really have too strong a takes as that on that as far as betting lines go, but it should be a fun game. And then obviously we had a lot of other bets in there that we like, and hopefully we are as profitable as we were last week. Cause last week we got off to a, we got our season off to a pretty nice start so far. And last week helped a lot. Hopefully we keep that uh, good vibes going into week three. Thank you all for joining us this week. Uh, we'll catch you next Thursday on the sharp angles betting podcast. Enjoy the week.